think it's 18 parts of this, of this series, but uh, uh, just so you could probably follow along better what we're going to be doing tonight, uh, this is uh, very helpful this evening. I'd like to just say something. Uh, it's kind of comical, but I being, to my knowledge, one of the three Cubans in this church, and this is another one that I'm not aware of, but it's myself, Marie Jordan, and Kayla Butler. Is another Cuban in this church that I know I'm not aware of? Um, but yesterday I began getting text messages from people congratulating me on the death of Adele Castro. Uh, I hate to break it to you all, but that guy's been dead for several years. <laughs> He's been dead for several years. Uh, he, uh, they just now decided to make it official for whatever political reason they invented. But I will tell you this this here, this may or may not be a true story. Um, may or may not be a true story. Because um, what Elder Terry more than just said right now is very, very true. Um, Fidel Castro, when he was fighting against Batista back in the 50s, he was in... Uh, in the early stages of his revolution, he was losing the war, and he was hid, sheltered by uh, an Adventist church, and that actually was my father's church. Uh, my father met Fidel Castro uh, when he was in hiding. Um, has he been kind to the Adventist church in Cuba? Depends who you ask. Um, my father certainly wasn't because he was arrested for being an Adventist. And, he, and in fact, next year, I'm going to bring him here for the SCS to give his testimony of how he escaped from Cuba. Uh, it's an amazing testimony uh, of how that happened because my father was actually put in a, uh, in a concentration camp in Cuba uh, for the sole crime of being an Adventist. Um, and uh, the way he escaped is an amazing testimony. Uh, and that's how I got here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so sometime, you know, in the relatively near future, uh, we'll have him come over. Uh, but the following may or may not be true, because I do get conflicting reports coming out of Cuba of the following story. Uh, but I think there's an uh, important reason why, why I'm sharing this. Uh, there's a man who was actually arrested in Cuba. I forget the exact crime that he committed. And he was going to be a political prisoner. He didn't commit anything illegal in the sense of stealing or killing or whatever. But he just was not part of the revolution in Cuba. And so he was arrested. And at that point in time, uh, he was actually brought before Fidel Castro uh, to basically be tried and whatnot. And in the process of the trial, uh, it was discovered that this young man, probably in his mid-20s, uh, was an Adventist, Seventh Adventist. And Fidel Castro, ¿Tú eres un Adventista del sábado? Sí. ¿Guardas el sábado? Sí. 
So you're, you're an Adventist, you keep the Sabbath? Yes. Okay. He called for a chalkboard, which I'm assuming is better than this one we have right now this evening, but praise God we have this, amen. <laughs> uh, and he called for a Bible, and he put the Bible in the young man's hand, gave him a piece of chalk, he sat down, and he said, explain to me in detail the 2300 days. And for the next half hour, 40 minutes, that young man explained in detail Daniel 8.14. And when that happened, Fidel Castro said, Estás libre. You're free. Go. May, may not have happened. But I do get conflicting reports coming out of Cuba about a story similar to that. Uh, how many of us don't answer? But how many of us here present could do that? If I were to say, here's a board, here's a pin, here's a Bible, break down Daniel 8.14, your freedom or your life depends upon it. I believe that we're very close to that time here in America where we're going to have to stand in defense of what we claim to believe. And if we cannot do that, if we know that we cannot do that right now, my friends, then on the basis of what I read in the Spirit of Prophecy, we are not ready. We're not ready. And so I beg of you, do not rest until we're root, firmly rooted and grounded in that which we believe is a truth. Um, so, yeah, pray for the Cuban people because Raul is worse than Fidel. He is. Um, I still have one aunt in Cuba. Praise God, the rest of my family is out of Cuba. Um, and I've never been to Cuba. <laughs> you have. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a mess. Uh, and pray, if you've never watched the news, those that really need our prayer, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Adventist Church, are the people in Venezuela. Venezuela is, you literally have Adventists down there that are starving to death, literally because of the situation in Venezuela right now, because Chavez, what Fidel Castro did to Cuba, Chavez wanted to do with Venezuela. He died, and now the guy in power is even worse than Chavez. So our church is very much struggling down there. So please keep them in prayer. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> uh, this evening, uh, it's our second to last SAS of 2016. We will meet next uh, Sabbath, and then we're done for the year because we have walked through Bethlehem, and then Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are all on Sabbath evening, Saturday night, and I know people have family and things of that nature. We're meeting this evening, Thanksgiving weekend, 
to just continue get get us you know more or less of, of a of a consistency because we had many many programs good programs but uh, we've been wanting to just have consistency so I'm, I, I praise God we're here this evening braving the weather and those that are not here well tonight we're doing Bible calculus uh, very very uh, deep study about a chapter well it's part seven last time we had part six of a chapter that has caused great confusion uh, in the church in the past 10, 20 years. And uh, I would like to just have a word of prayer. And then I would like for us to patiently read the chapter. And uh, then I'll have a sheet be passed out and review briefly from last week. And we'll see how far we get into tonight's study. All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful that we're here this evening in our Sabbath afternoon study. Even though the sun is now set and the new week has begun, Father, we're here, a group of your people, because, Lord, we understand and realize that the best way to begin a new week is here in your presence. We need more of you, more of Jesus, more of your word, more of your grace, more of your power in our life. Especially, Father God, as we're definitely entering upon the closing moments of Earth's history. I pray that this evening, that as we open your word, that you will please send your Holy Spirit to be here with us. I pray that you'll help me to present uh, these truths. That will be an edification for your people. That we can be strengthened and more firmly grounded in your truth. May we not just gain information, but help us, Father, to apply these things to our lives. And help us, Lord, to be ready to give a reason for the things that we believe. Because, Father, we know that very soon we will not have the privilege of gathering here together Sabbath after Sabbath. That time is quickly coming to an end. And I pray that when that time does come, we can look back and thank you because we took advantage of all the opportunities you gave us to study, learn, and be drawn closer to you. So, Father, please be with us and bless us tonight as we bring your word. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite us to go to the book of Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. And we're going to take our time right now and read the entire chapter. And again, bear in mind, we're doing part 7 of an 18-part series. We're only going to do part 6, 7, and 8. We will not do the rest because I'm not going to be up here for the next four months. Okay, so chapter 17, Revelation, verse 1. The Bible says, are we there, amen? It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which talked to me, saying unto me, Come here, and I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of the, of the wrath of fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit Upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, 
having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of fornication. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots, and Abominations of the Earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Listen carefully. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he said unto me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw is that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Loaded prophecy. Now, I'd like to have the, these handouts passed out. Uh, don't know if we're going to cover all this this evening, but I definitely invite you to study this on your own throughout the week. And next week, I, I, I might do something a little bit different, depending on as the Spirit leads. So we'll see how far we get this evening, but I will finish out the year. And then January, we're going to begin all over again. And um, I'm excited about the series that we'll be doing in January, uh, beginning. It's going to, please, I mean, if I could just be here, I say this in all humility, but in all conviction. I truly believe that the best messages and sermons in all of Kern County are here Sabbath afternoons. I really believe that. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying that just because I'm one of the speakers, but uh, if you've been here, I think you say a hearty amen. Uh, this, this is the place to be Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath evenings. 
especially what's coming. So please uh, do not go anywhere. <laughs> All right. But like I said last time, we had 10 people here. We're going to do it. All right. But, uh, but anyway. Um, now, last two weeks ago, we took a look at the mystery of godliness and the mystery of iniquity. And we saw basically that what Satan is going to do in these last days is the same thing that he did in heaven, the same thing that he caused throughout the Middle Ages. He's going to do it all over again, and that is he's going to make loyalty to God appear as treason against God, and he's going to make treason against God appear as loyalty to God. Are you following me? Okay. He's going to cause those of us in the last days who are going to remain faithful to God, we're going to be made to look as traitors to the cause of God. And all those who are trampling upon the law of God and are in rebellion against God and disobeying God and leading others in that rebellion, they're going to be made to look as being loyal to God. He's going to reverse everything. Okay, now, one of the key features of this prophecy that we find in chapter 17, Revelation, is the coming of the beast out of the bottomless pit. Okay? The understanding of this part of the prophecy is going to throw some incredible light upon the two mysteries of the Bible, which are the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. Okay, if you were not here two weeks ago, I don't know if these are being recorded, but if they're recorded, I, I invite you to get a copy of that study we did two weeks ago. All right. Now, among the many contrasting items that we find between the mystery of godliness and iniquity, we're going to show you right now that the death and resurrection of the beast are set forth as imitations of those of Jesus. In other words, the beast imitates Jesus in many ways. I invite us to go here to our first page here, and you have here a comparison of the mystery of equity. And we're not going to read all of it, but look at here at some of the comparisons. Number one. Okay, Revelation 5 and 6, it says, a lamb as it had been slain. In 13 verse 3, describing the first beast, which is the same as the whore of Revelation 17, it says, one of the heads as though it were wounded to death. Do you see the imitation? Okay, number 2. Revelation 118, of Jesus, Jesus speaking, it says, I am he that lives and was and is alive forevermore. Now, how many tenses do we find there? Three. He lived, he was dead, and now he lives forevermore. So you have past, present, future. Okay? Now, chapter 13, verse 3. His deadly wound was what? Healed. So the beast... Did it die and resurrect? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Number three. Revelation 2 verse 8. Was dead and is alive. 
13, verse 12, whose deadly wound was healed. Romans 6, 9, Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. 13, verse 14, which had the wound by the sword and did live. Number 5, Revelation 1, 8, which is, which was, and which is to come. Three tenses, which is, which was, and is to come. Past, present, future. Chapter 17, verse 8. Look at the beast. The beast which you saw was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. When they behold the beast that was, is not, and yet is. I've seen here the similarities. Okay, number five. Or number six. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 17. O Lord God Almighty, which are, which was, and is to come. 1711, the beast that was and is not, and we'll leave the rest for later. But you're seeing here that based on these expressions that are found in Revelation 17, they're mentioned with the obvious reference to that, to that which has been declared of Jesus. Now, why is that? Because the Lord is showing us that Babylon is a counterfeit system that always counterfeits the things of God. Now, I would like to show you this here from the Bible, okay? And there might be some that, that have heard me do this before. But uh, let's go ahead and, and, for the sake of those, to show you here this amazing imitation of the beast imitating Jesus. Now, in the Bible, okay, going back here to the handout from last week, okay, we find the very first one we find in Revelation chapter 1, 4, and 5, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we find that there is a false trinity that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 uh, and 16, and that is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Okay? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are an imitation trinity to the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Okay? And if you go to chapter 16 of Revelation... And if you go to verse 13, we find something very amazing. Okay? It says, okay, again, it's all an imitation. It's a counterfeit. All right? Chapter 16, verse 13. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the what? Dragon, out of the mouth of the what? And out of the mouth of the what? So how many mouths do you have? Three, and we saw this, that it is an imitation of what Jesus did. Okay, quickly go to Matthew chapter 5. Okay, in Matthew 5, in Matthew 5, we go to verse 1, we find here what the beast is imitating. In Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a, 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 a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his what? Mouth, and what? So, so, what did Jesus use to teach? His mouth. In Revelation, we find that the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, they use their what? Their mouth. Well, guess what? The message of these three powers, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, it is a counterfeit three angels' messages. That's what we find here. 
Okay? Now, let's show you this here in chapter 12 and 13, how the beast is a counterfeit of the Trinity. Okay? Well, the dragon, in reality, is a counterfeit of the Father. Now, how do we know? Because if you take a look at chapter 12 of Revelation and chapter 13, who is the one that in reality is calling the shots against God and his people? It's not the beast. Who is it? It's the dragon. Okay. Now, take a look at this. Okay, the dragon is calling the shots. So the dragon is a counterfeit of the father. Now, in chapter 13 of Revelation, we find that there are two beasts mentioned. Two. The first beast is a counterfeit of Jesus. How do we know? Let's read. Look at verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his uh, uh, horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet as feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Now where have you seen a leopard, a bear, and a lion before? Where? Daniel 7. Now we're not going to explain why that is. Okay? But look at the last part here of verse 2. And the dragon... Gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Jesus, in his incarnate state, did he have power and authority of his own? Yes or no? No. Not in his incarnate state. That power authority was given to him by who? By his father. Of course, I know Jesus is God. I mean, in that, yeah, he has all power authority. But in his incarnate state, he received his power and authority from who? The Father. Exactly. And by the way, I, I skipped one in verse 1. Mercy. Okay, verse 1. Look at verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Where have we seen that beast before? Seven heads and ten horns. There's no beast in Daniel that has seven heads. We're, we're, we're in chapter 13. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're correct. But look at, look, look at chapter 12 and look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having how many heads and how many horns? And in chapter 13, we find the same beast having seven heads and ten horns. Now, in chapter 12 of Revelation, that dragon with seven heads and ten horns, who is the dragon of Revelation 12? Satan. But in chapter 13, this beast with seven heads and ten horns, is it Satan? Yes or no? No. Okay, nowhere in the Bible do we find that Satan is called a beast. He's called a dragon. He's called a lion. He's called a lot of things. 
but he is not called a beast. But guess what? Do you remember what Jesus told, I believe it was Philip, when Philip asked him, show us a father? What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, so this first beast of chapter 13, if you've seen it, who have you seen? The dragon. All right, see what's going on here. If you've seen the beast, you've seen the dragon. Chapter, in verse 2, we find that the dragon gives this beast power and authority the same way that the Father gave Jesus power and authority. Verse 3. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Did Jesus also receive a deadly wound? And was he healed of that deadly wound? Verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Okay. I'm trying to kill here a thousand stone, birds with one stone. Okay. What is the name, the personal name, that is given to Jesus in the book of Revelation? No, no, not title. Name. Michael. What does Michael mean? Who is like God? What are the sin of the beast? Who is like unto the beast? Michael, who is like God? Verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue how long? Okay. Literally speaking, how long is 42 months? Three and a half years. How long was the ministry of Jesus on earth? Three and a half years. Are you seeing what's going on here? Now, I know that you know that the first beast of this chapter 13 is the papacy. But when the early church saw this, before the papacy even existed, they didn't know, had no idea who the papacy was. But as they read, they're like, man, you know, we don't know who this beast is, but it's going to imitate Jesus. Because it's doing exactly what Jesus did. It's an imitation. Now, if the dragon is a counterfeit of God the Father, and the first beast is a counterfeit of God the Son. The second beast must be counterfeit what? Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know? Look at chapter 13, and let's go to verse 11. Verse 11 says, And I beheld, what are the next two words? Stop there. Stop there. What kind of a beast? Okay. Keep your finger there, and let's go to John 14. John 14, and when you're at verse 16, please say amen. John 14, 16. When you're there, say amen. Okay. John 14, 16 says, 
and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, next two words, another comforter. Now, if there's another comforter, that means there must be a previous comforter. Are you following me? And that previous comforter is none other than who? Jesus himself. But now Jesus says, listen, I'm going to wait. I'm going to send you another comforter. Go back to Revelation. Now, 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 now watch this. Verse 10. Verse 10 is talking about the first beast still. It says, he that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's talking about the deadly wound that the first beast is going to be healed. So watch this. John saw this, quote, another beast coming after the first beast was what? No more. When it was gone. Are you following me? When did the, quote, another comforter arrive on the scene? After the first one was what? No more. Are you following me? Now watch this. Look at verse 12. Revelation 13. Verse 12. And he, this is the second beast now, the second beast, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and then the dwell therein to worship who? So the second beast. Does the second beast command all the world, worship me? It commands the whole world to do what? Worship who? So the second beast has no interest in saying, come worship me. It points everyone to the first beast. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. All right, see what's going on here. It, it, it's, it's imitating. It's a counterfeit. When we see this, it helps us understand the, these amazing chapters that we find in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. See, because... I mean, we as Adventists, I mean, w w once we go to Revelation, we want to right away, okay, who are the horns? Who are the heads? Who does There's a story being told here. And, and, when, and when we ignore the story of Revelation, we miss out on all kinds of things. Okay, now, even though there are many similarities between the beast and Christ, there's also some tremendous differences. Now, let me just give you one of these differences. Okay? Let's go to chapter 17 and verse 8. Because in reality, tonight we're going to take a look at verse 8 and verse 11 of this chapter. Okay? Verse 17 and let's go to verse 8. The Bible says, The beast that you saw was and is not 
and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go where? Into perdition. So in other words, the beast that is to come out of the abyss, out of that bottomless pit, just as Jesus came out of the tomb, but in contrast to Jesus, Jesus came out of the tomb never ever to die again. Amen? But the beast is going to come out of the bottomless pit, out of a state of death. It's going to be resurrected, but for what purpose? To go into where? Into perdition. And you'll notice, as the resurrection of Jesus to life is repeated twice in Revelation 1, 18 and 2, 8. So the resurrection of the beast to go into perdition is also repeated. It's amazing. A, a religion that is like Jesus in so many superficial ways, but it is lacking the vital power of the omnipotent God. It has some power, but it's satanic and goes into perdition. While the believers of Christ, though they may die the first death, will rise and will never taste death again, just like Jesus. Are you following me this evening? We're doing Bible calculus this evening, okay? Now, I would actually like to take time and read here from early writings, page 55. And uh, I do this because I, I, I kind of want to prepare ourselves already for the series we're going to be beginning in January. Okay? I'm excited about what we're going to do in January in the series. Okay? Please, please don't want to wear. Okay? Now, I quote here page 55. And uh, it's describing here the end of the 2300 days. And I'm going to read it because I just read here that this imitation of Jesus, it's a religion like Jesus, but it lacks the power of the omnipotent God. It has some power, but it is satanic. But let's not be deceived. Satanic power is powerful. Amen? The whole world's being deceived by satanic power. It's powerful. But it's nowhere near as powerful as a true God of heaven. Now, bear with me, okay, but we're going to connect it here with, with, with some parts of the, of the Bible right now. It says, I saw a throne, and on it sat the Father and the Son. I gazed on Jesus' countenance and admired his lovely person. The Father's person I cannot behold, for a cloud of glorious light covered him. I asked Jesus if his Father had a form like himself. He said he had. But I cannot behold it, for he said, if you should once behold the glory of his person, you would cease to exist. Before the throne, I saw the Advent people the church, and the world. I saw two companies, 
one bowed before the throne, deeply interested, while the other stood uninterested and careless. So how many companies? Two. One deeply interested by the throne, the other ones, eh, they could care less. Those who were bowed before the throne would offer up their prayers and look to Jesus. Then he would look to his father and appear to be pleading with him. A light would come from the father to the son and from the son to the praying company. Then I saw an exceeding bright light come from the father to the son and from the son it waved over the people before the throne. But few would receive this great light. Many came out from under it and immediately resisted it. Others were careless and did not cherish the light. And it moved off from them. Some cherished it and went and bowed down with a little praying company. This company all received the light and rejoiced in it, and their countenances shone with its glory. Listen. I saw the Father rise from the throne and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil and sit down. Then Jesus rose up from the throne and the most, and the most of, the, of those who were bowed down arose with him. Now, I want to stop here. Here you find the Father in his throne. He rises, flaming chariot, and he goes into the most holy place. Which means that if he goes into the most holy place, it means that he wasn't there before. You follow me? And then Jesus rose up from the throne and went to where the Father was. Now, we're dealing here 1844. Christ going from the holy to the most holy, but we forget that the Father also went from the holy to the most holy, not just Jesus. Now, where did Ellen White get this from? She just made this all up. Really? Go to Daniel 7. We're going somewhere. Go to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. And let's go to verse 8. And this here is something that either Desmond Ford totally ignored or just rejected Probably both. I don't know. Daniel 7, verse 8. Are we there? Amen? It says, And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up another little horn, before whom there were three horns plucked up by the roots. And, 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 and it says, And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now notice verse 9 carefully. And I beheld till thrones were what? Now, 
I don't, well, let me, let me use this little bar stool. I'll try, I'll try not to break it. Okay? But when Daniel here says, I saw thrones cast down, the Hebrew is quite infla- emphatic. Cast down is a good translation. It, it, do, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean I saw thrones cast down. It means this. I saw thrones cast down. Are you following me? Okay. I saw thrones cast down. That's what the Hebrew says very clearly. Not as casting down. I'm sorry? Okay. Now, keep on reading. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit. Now, who's the ancient of days? God who? God the Father. Whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like the pure wool, and his throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as the burning fire. Now, this, this, this is loaded stuff right here. So, does God the Father have a physical body? Yes or no? Absolutely. He has a head, he has hair. And guess what? He sits down. You can't sit down unless you have a body. But watch this. What does his throne have? Wheels. What are wheels for? So does God's throne move? Now, now, now watch this. Daniel has seen this. After the little horn. And, and we know that the little horn, prophetically speaking, it, it came to an end. Well, don't misunderstand me. I know the little horn is going to be alive and well in the future, okay? But it came to an end in what year? 1798. So sometime after 1798... We find this taking place in heaven. Look at verse 10. And a fiery stream issued, came forth from before him. Thousand, thousand ministers unto him. Ten thousand times a thousand stood before him. The judgment was said and the books were opened. So what does Daniel see in heaven? He sees judgment. Has Christ come? No. But now look at verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? He came with the clouds of heaven and came to where? He didn't come to earth. He went to where what? Where the Father was at. So did the Father move and did Jesus move? Yes or no? Look at verse 21, because we're going to do this all over again in January and February, okay? But because this sequence is repeated three times in Daniel 7. Look at verse 21. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, prevail against them, until the ancient of days, what's the next word? Uh-uh. Came. Now, if I say, hey, he came, 
That means that he wasn't there to begin with. Are you following me? So the ancient days came. He arrived. He wasn't there. And then the sun goes to where the ancient of days went. Sounds like 1844 to me. But of course, Alan White made this all up. I tell you, the, the, the more you get into here, the more you realize, oh, that's where she found it from. Anyway, let's go on. It says, those who arose when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. Then he raised his right arm and we heard his lovely voice saying, wait here. I'm going to my father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garments spotless and a little, in a little while I'll return from the wedding and receive you to myself. So Jesus, he went to where? And for what purpose? To receive what? And it's also called the what? The wedding. Goes on. And I'll return from the wedding to receive you to myself. Then a cloudy chariot with wheels like flaming fire Surrounded by angels, came to where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot and was born to the holiest where the Father sat. Daniel 7. Goes on. There I beheld Jesus, a great high priest, stand before the Father. On the hem of his garment was a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. Those who rose up with Jesus would send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, my father, give us your spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. In that breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and peace. Now comes the counterfeit. I turned to look at the company who were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Satan appeared to be by the throne, trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look up to the throne and pray, Father, give us your spirit. Satan would breathe upon them an unholy influence. In it, there was light, and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and a drawback and deceive God's children. The counterfeit is powerful. There's a power in the false gospel. There's a power in the fallen churches. And many in our church are being drawn to that power. But there's no sweet love, joy, and peace. Because at the end of the day, only the power of God 
brings joy, love, and peace. That false power, it may be a powerful force, and it is. But at the end of the day, you're not at peace. Now, I'll have mercy. (laughs) The time. I I hope that it is now clear that the resurrection of the beast is a very important point in this prophecy. Why is that? Okay, and I'm doing this because, uh, yeah, the election, everything, but, but, I mean, look what's going on here. Let's go back to chapter 13, 13 Revelation. Revelation 13. Okay, and, and I want to see if you catch this. Okay, I want to see if you catch this. Okay, let's put our thinking caps on, and, and, and let's find out what is the emphasis that John is putting here. Chapter 13, and let's go to verse 3. The Bible says, And I saw one of his heads as they were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Verse 12, it says, And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the beast, first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 14, and deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of all those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. What is the emphasis that John is placing upon here? The emphasis is not on the fact that the beast received a deadly wound. The emphasis is on the fact that the deadly wound is going to be what? Healed. That's the emphasis. And if we have time tonight, which I don't think we're going to have time, okay, we're going to show you that the main point of Revelation 17 is on the time when the deadly wound is healed. So again, very important. The emphasis, both in Daniel 11, in chapter 13, Revelation, and in chapter 17, is not the fact that the beast received a deadly wound. It is the fact that there is a resurrection from the dead. And when that happens, all the world is going to marvel after the beast. Are you following me so far? Amen? Mm. Now, let, 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 me, let, me ask, let, let me ask you the million-dollar question. Because there's some confusion on this. The question is, what is it that caused the deadly wound in the first place? That's the traditional SDA answer that is usually given. But that is not, I'm not saying it's incorrect, but it's not complete. You got it. Okay. Let, 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 let's show you this. This, this. this is so very important here. Okay. And, I, I, and forgive me, but I'm doing this for the sake of those few who have not studied this out yet. And the, the, the real calculus might have to wait till next week. 
Okay, because I gotta finish the next 15 minutes or so. <laughs> now, okay, <laughs> now, okay, uh, let's go to Daniel 2. Daniel 2, a very familiar prophecy. We're not gonna go through all this in detail. Okay, we're trying to understand here what is it that caused the deadly wound. Because if we can understand what caused the deadly wound, then we'll know what must happen for the wound to be healed. Okay? Now, in Daniel 2, we find the image that the, dream, the king dreamt. The head was of what? The breast arms were of, belly and thighs of, legs of, and the feet of iron and clay. Now, we know that the gold is Babylon, silver, middle Persia, belly, thighs, Greece, uh, legs, iron, Rome. All that has a meaning. But question, what does the clay symbolize? Okay, yeah, some of you heard this before. Okay, what does clay symbolize? Okay, let, let, let's do this. Okay, I'm going to go to two verses here. Let's go to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. We're going to go back to Daniel. Okay, let's understand what, what, what it is. Okay, very important here. Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, and let's go to verse 1. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. Okay, are we all there? Amen. Okay, the Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. Now, what does a potter work with? Clay. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again under the vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Cannot I do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, says the Lord. So here, God compares clay to what? To his people. Go to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. And let's go to verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. The Bible says, Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the what? Clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. So who does God compare clay to? So... What's another word that we use to describe God's people? His church. But now watch this. In Daniel 2, what kind of clay is mixed with the iron? Miry clay. What does miry mean? Miry comes from the word mire, and mire is where the pigs roll around in. So what kind of a church is going to mix with the iron? A dirty, filthy, corrupt church is going to mix with the iron. Are you following me? 
Daniel 7 identifies that church for us, which we know is the papacy. So watch this. Iron is the political element. Clay is the religious element. Iron and clay don't mix. What we find in the iron and clay is the union of what? Church and state. What actually gave the papacy its power was that the papacy was able to control the powers of the state. It was a union of church and state. When Napoleon comes along in 1798, as a result of the French Revolution, it was General Berthier that, I think it was February 6, 1798, that goes there and takes Pope Pius VI prisoner. What he did, he separated the iron and the clay. He took away the papacy's political power. And when that happened, the papacy was emasculated. Deadly wound. The fact that the Pope was taken prisoner, that by itself did not cause a deadly wound. Because if that gave a deadly wound, then that means that the wound was healed in 1801. Because in 1801, a new Pope was, was uh, uh, elected. So follow me. If the separation of church and state caused the deadly wound... What must happen for the wound to be healed? Church and state must come back together. So right now, the clay and the iron are separated. But in Daniel 2, when the stone hits, are not the clay and iron combined? Okay, now, I want to get some before we end this evening. Okay, so we get there. Without a clear grasp of the prophetic symbolism that describes the resurrection of the papacy, it's impossible to understand the full importance of John's portrayal of the final conflict in the book of Revelation. Now, the papal power was permitted to rule for how many years? 1260. The wound is mentioned in Revelation 13.3, but then immediately the healing of that wound is mentioned, and then all the world wandered after the beast. The healing is mentioned again in verse 12 and 14. It is such a powerful resurrection of this beast that the people are awed by it. The world is just blown away. Now watch. As the resurrection from the dead proved that Jesus was God, so the resurrection of this beast from its state of death is going to lead the entire world to believe that it is of God. As the Christians hope 
lies in the resurrecting power of Jesus. So the world is going to be led to believe that the rising of the beast from the state of death will bring the world into a state of peace and safety. Are you following me? As the resurrection of Christ is our only hope, the world is led to believe that this beast that has resurrected is their only hope for peace and safety. And by the way, let me show you something. Go, go real quickly to, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And, and, and let's go to verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. I'm going to show it right here, iron and clay. Okay, chapter 5 verse 1. Are there amen? It says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that are right unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, so comes the thief, the thief of the night. Verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then what's going to happen? Okay, okay, stop there. What two things are they going to say? Peace and safety. Question. When we want safety, who do you go to? Don't, don't, don't say God. It's the government. When we want peace, who do you go to? God. God and the state combined. Are you seeing it? When church and state combine, when peace and safety come together, sudden destruction will come. Study that one out. Now, our last point here is going to be a little deep here now. Okay? And we'll close with this and continue next time, maybe. Three times in Revelation 13 is the healing of the wound mentioned. Three times it is said that the beast that apparently died will live again. Three times in Revelation 17, twice in verse 8, and once in verse 11, we are directed to events that take place after the resurrection of the beast. Now, follow me. That's why I had this little thing here. So I could illustrate. Wish I had something better, but apologize. Doing the best we can. Let's read verse 8 and verse 11. Stay with me. We're, we're, we're almost done for, for this evening. Chapter 17, verse 8 and verse 11. 17, 8, and 11. It says, The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was, is not, and yet is. Verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goes into perdition. Verse 11 points us to the is not state, 
or the period of death, which is followed by its resurrection to life again. Then it will be another is period. It'll make sense right in just a minute, I promise you. After its resurrection from the is not or state of death period, verse, the, 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 the verse uh, 11 says, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. In verse 8, he is said to go into perdition after he ascends out of the bottomless pit. So when the same expression is used in verse 11, following its is not period, when it is said that he is the eighth of the seventh, we know that this term has reference to the period after its resurrection. Now, let me make that simple. Here we go. Now, in verse 8, we have the following. I apologize, okay. Verse 8, right here. We have the beast was. You follow me so far? Yeah? Okay. And then we have the is not period. Okay, is not. That's two words, okay? <laughs> and then we have that the beast is going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. Okay? That's what we have here. Okay? And here, was, is not, and we could add here the yet is. Now, who's the beast? the papacy. There's only one beast in the Bible that imitates Jesus and that's going to resurrect from the state of the dead and that's the papacy. So follow me. When is it that the beast was? When was that? 538 1798 What is the is not period? Seventeen ninety-eight to the present. We are in the is not period. Shall ascend to the bottom of this pit? What is that? When the deadly wound is healed. Are you following me? Okay, now, verse 11, read verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goes to perdition. Okay, about time, you put over here, okay, in verse 8, was, is not, yet is, but when he comes out of the bottomless pit, it'll be another is period, then he's going to go into perdition. Are you following me? Okay, in verse 11, we find the same thing. We find the beast that was, is not, but watch this. Over here goes to perdition, but right here he is the eighth. The eighth. Are you following me? Verse 8 was, is not, shall ascend out of this pit, it'll be the yet is, goes to perdition. 
He's a seventh head, but he's numbered eight. No. Okay. It's going to happen when the son-in-law, basically. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'll, I'll, yeah, go ahead. Right. Right, right now. So, yeah, so right now we're right here. When it's resurrected, he's numbered eight and goes in perdition. So we're right here in this time prophecy. Uh, and I say this because, I mean, right, but, 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 but for the longest time, I mean, a Span- those that are here Spanish, for, for example, uh, ever heard of Hugo Gambetta? Hugo Gambetta? Okay, Hugo Gambetta, he, he's, he's a famous pastor in the Spanish-speaking world. And he is one of the main promoters of the fact that, or the, that chapter 17 identifies the seven last popes that this was going to have. And I praise God because Pope Benedict XVI was the seventh pope. Now we're, at one, now we're at the eighth pope. And when this guy dies, well, we'll see, okay? But anyway, all right, now, let's, let's see what we can finish here, here quickly. Yeah, now you guys can't see me, okay? <laughs> now, okay, I'll tell you this much, and then we'll probably continue this next time. But the reason why it's given the number eight, okay, and in fact, tell you what, next Sabbath, we'll finish this part of the study, and let's see here, and uh, no, I can't do that. Okay, anyway, okay, anyway, the reason why it's numbered eight is because, watch this. Okay, go to Daniel 8.13. Okay, Daniel 8.13. This, this, this really hurts my ear. Uh, Daniel 8.13, real quick, okay, we're quick, we're, we're finishing, promise. Okay, in Daniel 8.13, we find one of the names of Jesus in the Bible. Okay, in Daniel 8.13, we find, and, 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 and I heard one saint speaking, Another certain saint that spoke. Okay, the certain saint that spoke in the Hebrew, right there, that word is, it's, it's palmoni, or palmoni, however you want to pronounce it. It's a, it's a name of Jesus. It's a hard word to translate. The best we can do in English is the wonderful numberer. Okay, the wonderful numberer. In other words, the one that gives numbers. Okay? The one that gives numbers. Uh, and, and Jesus loves numbers. The very hairs of our head are counted. He not only counts the stars, he names them. And there are parts of the three angels' messages that you cannot understand unless you do math. I mean... How do we get this time period right here? And let's do math. 2,300 days, uh, 70 weeks, 
1260, 1290, 1335. God likes numbers. Okay? Now, 